on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Sidelines. I'm your host. My name is Courts. I'm here with my other host. It's AP over here, Cordo. No longer as, now AP. Definitely locked it in. And due to uh, audience feedback, uh, pressure, love, respect, we also have again joining us in the studio, our special guest, Alex Malcolm. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks, Court. AP. Officially friend of the pod. It's great to see my mum's been sliding into the DMs just to get me back on board. <laughs> Give me some work during this COVID lockdown, but no, it's good to be here. I thought I recognised that surname in the emails, direct messages, She's postcard. persistent with those burner accounts, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Kevin Durant of WA. Mm. Um, so how you been anyway, mate? You good? Going okay. Going okay. Yep. Looking forward to a weekend off footy, actually. Ahead yeah. of the finals. Uh, a little yeah, bit of time just out. A bit of a, just a bit of a uh, reset. I'm, I haven't been all in on the footy this year. I don't know about you guys, but it just has not grabbed me. Definitely not. Yeah. So just, it just sort of wraps itself into itself and just keeps going. And then you're just like, oh, geez, another week. And then it's gone. I mean, I'm a bomber supporter too. So let's be fair. It's not great. <laughs> not ideal. <laughs> Every time John Worsfold spoke, I think that killed your enjoyment for the season. Yeah, a lot of things. That was one of them. Well, I was sitting back like five, six, seven weeks ago where you got Frio, like I think it was Dal Alcock, the president, talking about like, oh, you know, if we could get someone like John Worsfold, that'd be a great win for our club. And then the last month, every time Wisher speaks, I'm like, no, no, keep this man away. He's lost the plot. Yeah, not, not a great end to his tenure, that's for sure. He's done a great job for the, for the club, but... Yeah, he stabilised the club. But... We're probably in not a great spot now, but it's always good fun for Truck to come out of that, that's for sure, <laughs> which is also an all-time nickname, so you better deliver. Yeah. Well, he's a backman, so he's used to the ball coming in hot, heavy, and fast, <laughs> and that's instantly what he's walking into as a coach. Um, all right, on a, on a lighter subject, which weirdly, when we started this podcast, I don't ever think, uh, or uh, you would not have convinced me that this would become a, a recurrence throughout every episode. Men's fragrance is, <laughs> <laughs> is on the agenda. It is the topic that just will not die. Now, I'm talking specifically about VB. I've forgotten the exact term. It's like VB thirst. VB thirst for men. <sighs> thirst, a scent by VB. Oh, it's just stomach churning. I mean, we had our mate Reese was on. He agreed with us. It just. It seemed odd for the for the brand. It seemed like a weird move for VB to go in, of all things, like bring out a drill, bring out like a, <laughs> a men's work boot. I can get around that, like VB Timberlands. You know, that's something I'm like, yeah, okay, that's logical. But someone's gone, this is something we need for our consumers. They've gone, yep, the company's backed it in. And you know what? We slagged it off, but I have to apologize. And Alex, you could back up why I have to apologize. Well, you were, you brought it up because it's the, what is the number one selling fragrance in Australia? In Australia, so I read a, an article that suggested that thirty three thousand units had been sold by Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> thirty three thousand units since it was launched. So let's just let's just work through <laughs> let's just work through the process of how these were sold. So. 33,000 times an individual has gone on to Chemist Warehouse's online portal. This is online sales, I think. Yeah. They have gone through the order process, put it in the cart, (laughs) 
<laughs> gone th- gone through to the purchase order, got out their credit card, gone through. It's an annoying process. We've been through it before. Yeah. They've gone through putting in their credit card number, all their details, plus the what is the the, the CV number on the back. You've got to flip yeah. it over. They've done all that. Yeah. Stand- no regrets. Standard or express. <laughs> no regrets at any point during that lengthy process and purchased for twenty nine ninety five. Yeah. First ascent by VB, $33,000. I can't believe it. There's some genuine high fives going on at VB. Oh. And I, again, kudos where kudos is due. They saw some stuff that we didn't see. But yeah. It's also, I'm very disappointed in 33,000 individuals. Yeah. That's for sure. It's on eBay. So there are bottles being resold on eBay and online. So it's like, it's like a pair of Air Jordans. Like it's been bought and it's it's hit in the black market. It's in that much demand. I've heard stories that like even staff that work for them cannot get a hold of bottles. That's incredible. Have you seen the ad? No. no yeah, so I've never seen the ad. We'd, we'd obviously, you guys had talked about it on previous podcasts, the ad for um, SW23 or whatever it is, <laughs> the debut fragrance. There is an ad for VB The Thirst. Oh. And I would encourage any listener to go and have a look at it. The thing I've got a criticism of it, right? So it's Harley Breen stars, the you know the com- the comedian, the Melbourne based comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who did some shows on Channel Ten? Um, the one about he did that show where he's uh, awkward conversations with people with disabilities. Oh yes. Anyway, yeah, he's yeah. a he's a pretty good comedian. He always he stars in this thirty second spot, and it's got all the hallmarks of a VB ad, right? It's got the voiceover. Uh, and it's got the original voiceover, a hard-earned, thir- a hard-earned thirst needs it, and then it cuts out. Oh. And he stops. He's driving a, I don't know, he's driving a, some kind of Utility 1970s. No, he's driving like a 1970s sedan, you know, one of those souped-up yeah. ones anyway. And he drives past this uh, old uh, record player that's just sitting on the side of the road out in the outback, and it's playing the orchestral version of the VB song. And, he, and he's in slow motion, he's going past it and eyeballing it as this music's playing. And then he's out digging a hole and spraying himself with VB Thirst. But the, the, uh, So it's hilarious, but I, I, I thought they should have leaned the whole way in. Yeah. So just gone with the original and just had something like a, you know, a hard-earned, a hard-earned, uh, a hard-earned body odor needs a bold, strong <laughs> cologne. And the best strong cologne is Vic. Victoria Bitter. <laughs> That's how they should have done it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta go, down. If you're going to go all in, yeah, yeah. go all in. Because the originals had, um, I don't know if anyone's seen Crocodile Dundee. The old timer from Crocodile Dundee that was his like main mate that was always in the sort of camel kit, like the shirt and shorts. I think Wally or whatever his name was. He's a famous Aussie actor. He was the original voiceover of that. He died years ago. So maybe they're just they're struggling a bit for the voice clips. But yeah, I totally get it. Why a record player? It's like gone meta. <laughs> Have a look at it. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like a yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of this art house version of yeah. yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I would have thought that people buying VB Thirst to wear would see an ad like that and go, "Fuck is this?" <laughs> Correct. The only hope I have is that currently with how things are situated with people being in lockdown, it's a bulk amount of joke purchases where someone's yeah. just like, I got you something. 
And it's just like, oh, what is it? Ah! You know, and yeah. it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm going to wear this around the house. That's it. Yeah. I'm hoping and I don't think it's true at all. So that's just my, that's all I can think of. And the other one, which is just probably curiosity. People are probably just going to buy it. Like, let's be fair. At some point, we're going to have to come to terms that we might need to get a bottle because we talk about it in our weekly segment called Cologne. Cologne for you. And then we're going to have to, See what it smells like and talk about it. Oh, I hunted for a bottle for twenty minutes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, let's be, I thought it'd be a good episode where everyone has to do a live spray in the studio. Do you guys wear cologne? No, I haven't since I was a teenager. Every now and then, I reckon like school dance was the last time I put one on. I don't, I don't, and I, I don't know anyone who, who wears it. So yeah, I think isn't that another thing though? I did say that deodorant generally is is down in purchasing. So our mates at Links. Are struggling. Yeah. The old uh, 899 pack on the side of the uh, petrol station. <laughs> I mean, Africa's best. still going to be elite, but some of the other lesser fragrances, not so much. The only other thing I laughed at, we're going to be proven either totally wrong or we might get some luck, which is maybe all the VB purchase has then killed Warney's market for his cologne. So then we'll at least be justified saying there's no way that's going to take off. Surely. I don't know. How are they going though? I mean, they've been beaten by VB the Thirst. <laughs> and it was the debut fragrance. How's the, yeah, how's the follow-up going to go? Yeah, that's what we laughed at. We were like, talk about setting yourself up for failure. Like, debut. That at least had me. some more presentations and some slides already pre-done. Ugh. All, all for nothing. Warny. Goodness me. How much of this do you think is going to now, like, this is, this is the beginning of the end. Because you know there's going to be a Carlton Draft one. There's going to be... Yeah, that's going to become a thing, right? Because everyone's going to try, which is concerning. <laughs> so again, this legitimately might become a bit more of a weekly segment where we talk about what's been released. What alcohol companies getting into the fragrance game? We, I mean, spirit companies surely won't do it because you could literally just splash their, their product onto your neck and you're kind of going to get the same effect. Can't you... Can't you picture Maddie Mac at some point on his ad though? Maddie McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some told us we couldn't do it, but I guess that we kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst part is, I love him so much and I give him a pass for anything dodgy that he does that I'd probably buy it. I know. And I would be with you to be like, oh, not Maddie. And then the next minute I'd be like, I love Maddie. I'm on board. Yeah. How to lose a guy, but how to gain a fragrance. Like, I'll be all over it. All right, um, so we should move right along uh, onto the second thing that we've talked about a lot in episodes, which I never expected us to, which is heavy athletes. Heavy in the sense that either they're massive and heavy, they're overweight and they shouldn't be able to perform at the elite level, or they just have a general thickness to them, a general round sort of Charles Barkley-esque vibe in their uh, persona. Loosely rotund. Yeah, rotund. That's the word I was actually searching for. <laughs> Great word. Bryson DeChambeau, originally in our Thick Boy Power rankings, I'd like to say that I am some sort of like telepathic mind reader because I had Nikola Jokic in there before the playoffs started and Bryson, and here we are. Also topical because he did feature in Alex's championship moment. Exactly. Bryson DeChambeau. Alex, you're the resident golf expert. I mean, AP is as well. I'll let you two discuss this because <laughs> I have very limited contributions other than to hype up the man for all the wrong reasons. So again, this will we'll take people back on the journey who are not acutely aware uh, for what happened. But uh, 
Bryson is basically packed on massive amount of kegs. Huge. The US Open was on the weekend, which is notoriously hard, ridiculously hard golf course. He's won it, which is, you know, power, power where power is due, like and all the credit. He did it in a game style which nobody wanted to see succeed at this particular course, which is, was, is renowned for breaking the best of the best. Only, only player on the field to finish under par. Uh, basically just stuck to his guns, which is drive at every hole where he could. Just pound it long, see what happens, take the breaks as they come, and it's worked out well for him. He won by six. Yeah, it's, it was impressive to see someone just... Do you have a game plan and just go, no matter what's happening, this is how I'm going down. Mm. And it's a pretty big controversial thing because now everybody's got to talk about, again, all those, all those golf things around, you know, start changing equipment, changing golf balls, changing courses, you know, but more importantly, do people change? The next phase of golfers. I think kids getting into the game now are all being taught to, create as much speed as they possibly can. But what Bryson's done is bizarre. So he's put on 40 pounds. I don't, I'm just trying to do the conversion. It's you like know 20 kegs. 20, K, 20 kilos. Yeah. 20 kilos. Yeah. Onto, so he's gone from, I mean, I would estimate he was an 85 kilo frame, yeah. maybe. And now he's 105. That's six foot two. And if you look at him, he looks unhealthy. He, he legitimately, I mean, he looks... He looks like a linebacker in the NFL, but I, I don't think he looks that healthy to me. Um, but he, what he's done is, is changed the face of the sport. Now, if you look closer into the data, which I know you have, AP, you actually will note that as much as he's gained in distance, he's actually last year was the equal distance leader with Cam Champ in terms of uh, average distance off the tee, but his putting is the key. His putting's been phenomenal. So he's number one in driving and number nine in putting last season, whereas Champ was number one and number 136. <laughs> so you, you marry the two together. He, his advantage is not quite as big as people think. It's it's a blend of a couple of things, but um, certainly the golf world is talking about everybody needing to hit the ball a long way and, and how they maybe even the balance of power. Do you think there's a little bit of it too that it's a bit of look as well? Because for those who haven't seen his current swing, he has a crack. Like he's fully <laughs> having a crack. Oh, off his sh- it, out of his shoes. Yeah, like it's, it's, not, a, it's not a textbook swing. It's, it's, he's manufacturing the speed. In comparison to the other notorious big hitters, like to be fair, Rory's my height. He might even be a fraction shorter. Mm. Um, and he absolutely thumps it. His swing is still smooth. Mm. It's a very smooth swing. But, I mean, he, he has a rip at it. But you'd still sit there and say, that's a pretty textbook swing. If he was still able to get that distance while looking relatively natural, I don't think people would be as up in arms about it. Because it, it is very, you know, it doesn't look how golf should look. No, it's Happy Gilmore without the run-up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, Rory's got a fundamental advantage. Actually, he he can he can rotate his pelvis at seven hundred twenty degrees per second, which is staggering in terms of, in a rotational sport to be able to move your spine around at that speed and therefore hence move the club head around you at one hundred and twenty five mile an hour, which is just insane. And but Bryson's had to 
change his body to be able to equal that rotation and torque that Rory can generate naturally, which is, you know, so Bryson is doing something that very few people can do, and that's completely changed their physiology to gain an advantage having previously been disadvantaged. Mm. So you wonder, but we see this in other sports. I mean, you know, there's been a scourge of drug taking across all sports over half a century, basically. Yeah. Um, so you can you see it happen, but it's very rare someone would do something as drastic as what Bryson has done over such a short period of time. What's, and to be honest, it is a great question where you sit there and start thinking about... Um, is it others? Yeah, there's that. But also... <laughs> yeah, they're not being tested, by the way, at the moment. So. But it, it, it is always interesting to see when a new, a new hot trend comes in and it happens all the time in, in every single sport. Yeah. And... You know, is this a long-term stay? But like, let's look, let's look at the NBA. The NBA currently is going through a shift where there is no mid-range. No, you, you don't shoot mid-range. Is statistically the worst shot you should shoot. It should be three-pointers and layups only. Yeah, that's caught on AFL for a while. It was all about you know taking the Hawthorne model, slicing and dicing, you know, flooding strategy, this sort of stuff. And now it's just sort of a bit more bog it up, get the turnover and counterattack, which is probably more a soccer style. Yeah. Um, but again, forward half turnover, forward press, forward half turnover. Yeah. But again, I love talking about, you know, some other major trends, but is this one going to stick? I'm not too sure. Well, I just think it was, it, it's already here. Uh, people have been complaining a little bit about Bryson winning this week. I mean, this was on the cards, right? He's become one of only 11 players in the history of the sport to win a U.S. amateur and then a U.S. Open. So he. He was already on the path to greatness, but he was doing. He's done it in a different way because he's changed his body. But if you look back at the past five U.S. Opens, the names that won it: Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka twice, Gary Woodland, and and now Bryson DeChambeau. They've all won it the same way. They're all enormous hitters, big guys, creating an enormous amount of speed, hitting the ball, carrying the ball a long way, and then um, and then they've all putted really well that particular week. So. It's not a new trend, but the question is, would are guys going to take the risk of putting on that type of muscle? Yeah, that yeah. that's probably more the point. And again, Bryson's putting's probably been lost in the in the shadows of this. And a lot of the pros have made the made the point actually to put it outstandingly well. And you still need to do that because there are guys out there with his speed and his ability off the tee, but they're not a putting anywhere near as well. Well, DJ is a great example of that. For the longest time, DJ was just, if he putts well on the weekend, he's winning. But if yep. he doesn't, and, you know, same as Brooks, like they're, they're, big, they're big dudes. Mm. And, you know, all of them. It comes down to the, there's very, very minuscule gains based everywhere else. For those guys, it's all about chipping and putting. Who, who lands it? Which is, I mean, a little bit off topic, but when Jordan Spieth was elite, Jordan Spieth is not a long hitter. But he was putting in an app, like a statistically absurd rate, like dropping putts that no pros. And I was like, "Well, how long? How long is this going to last?" Turns out it didn't last very long, and then the pressure became back on his swing, and now he's sort of he's in a bit of a probably more of a crisis about how does he go about actually fixing his golf game, not making many cuts. But that's a bit of a digression on like again the other side of the coin of someone who was just elite at putting. And that that's so hard to maintain at that level. Well, has it caught? Can you think of anyone who's completely changed their physique to go from being a good player to a 
great player in any particular sport. Not really, no. No, no I genuinely can't. I mean, like UFC, you see guys do it a little bit. Like I've seen light heavyweight guys stack on weight to go up to heavyweight, but rarely actually have success. Like there's UFC, you get a lot of guys jumping up and down weights, but we're talking like two, three, four kilos max. Nothing on that nature. I can't think of a single, say, AFL player that's completely done it. I mean, you could look at Nat Fife when he came into the league, but every sort of teenager comes in at, I think he was about 70 kilos. He's now upwards of 90. Um, but no, I can't think of anybody that's done it. Yeah, I was trying to think of any AFL footballers. Again, none of them have really come out going, I can't run, and then they can't. I <laughs> Become mean, elite at running. Yeah. I mean, again, similar, way off, way off any sort of sport that we sort of normally talk about, but the CrossFit Games was on the weekend, um, which is dominated at the moment by the Aussie Tia, who's a Commonwealth Games champion, and Matt Fraser. He had a period where he was very, very, you know, that's a very weird sport to talk about because you've got to be good at everything. Mm. That's kind of its whole thing. He couldn't run. Effectively, he was not a very good runner. And then he went out and became effectively a sprinter. But again, that's sort of not quite the same sort of realm because they've just got to be these all-round good-at-everything athletes. Mm. Yeah, the only one I could think of is Rafa. Rafa on the dial, who when he first came out, he was very, very almost scrawny, very thin, um, wiry type mm. um, and didn't have enough strength to create the pace on the ball with his style of play playing from so far behind the baseline hitting heavy top spin and then over a handful of years how he did it is is another story but over a handful of years he, he completely changed his physique he's actually got too big and now his knees are problematic for him later in his career but he certainly added a lot of muscle which generated a lot more speed on his serve which has always been a weak point in his game and it, it was just phenomenal for his ground strokes but he had to he had to different to Bryson in an endurance sport playing in five-hour, 40-minute Oz Open finals. Uh, He still has to have the ability to move and cover the court consistently. So, Even though not the same, like the whole Bryson thing, I I feel like golf's had that in the past too, like where the whole size of club heads and things became an issue with people driving. But I, it reminds me of cricket. Remember when there was that explosion in bats being like effectively fridges like you know, like railway sleepers, yeah. Yeah, like peak sort of Chris Gow, baby Dave Warner, and everyone had a cricket bat that was like basically a door for a bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Like you know, MS Doney, all these guys that were just coming out with these absolute logs and just heaving cricket balls. And I've seen that now in batsmen. I feel like batsmen now more than ever, you have guys that are making a dollar off just being these absolute power hitting animals. Andre Russell's a perfect example. Yeah, he's a monstrous guy. He actually got done for performance enhancing use, but yeah, he's a huge, huge man. Kyron Pollard's another. Yeah, two big West Indian guys, like six foot five and probably a hundred kilos. Yeah, and if you stood Steve Smith next to him, he he looks like a dwarf. But yeah, yeah, all started with uh, my boy Lance Klusner, the South African hero, one day hero. Well, nearly one day hero. Ninety nine World Cup, he had the old Duncan Fernley cricket bat. Yeah, which was three pounds five or whatever it was, which in, yeah. in cricket terms is just the heaviest thing you could hold on to. Yeah. I remember uh, I went to a school that was near the Wacker Ground and South Africa was on a tour and they used the nets near our school. 
And I don't even know how we were able to get in there and sort of meet some of them and chat. And I remember him letting me pick up his bat. And I was like 14 or 15. I could barely like move it in my hands. It was just unbelievable. Les is just a boss too. Yeah. Well, that's the other. I have this theory about guys like Bryson is that their name adds 30% to whatever they're doing. <laughs> like Lance Klusner. Like it's just, it's a name for a power hitter. You know what I mean? Kyron Pollard, Andre Roth. They just got good power. Like Rakeem Cornwall. Like that is a power name. Bryson DeChambeau. His name was like Phil Johns. Like, eh. You know what I mean? Yeah. The name adds to the myth. Yeah, and it, wearing his like little French hat, like it's all about the vibe sometimes as well. <laughs> Speaking of vibe, the other thing we wanted to pick your brain about, Alex, and this is purely, this again goes to sometimes where trends take off and it's a little bit of an optical illusion. Hawthorne wins the 08 flag and has this spate of left footers in their team. And for years, it somehow became a thing that you had to have left foot kicks in your AFL team. And we were sitting there trying to go, are left foot kicks better? Or is it purely just this sort of myth that's permeated through modern sport? It's a pure myth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would left footers be better? They're just good kicks. The Hawthorne picked good kicks. Yeah. This is a, this is a real bugbear of mine. These guys, professional AFL footballers, the average wage is $370,000 a year. And most of them, Almost more than, no, definitely more than 80%, upwards of 90%, can't kick off both feet. They mm. don't work on their kicking. They never worked on their kicking on the way up. They don't work on their kicking at training. They don't work, in, they don't work on the mechanics of their kicking. I mean, we, talk about, we were talking about golf and Bryce, and Bryson's got a swing coach, a putting coach. He spends hours and hours working on the fundamentals, grip, stance, setup. Swing plane with his putting, he works on his swing arc. How he he's, he uses an arm like putter. He, you know, they're using data monitors to to see how the ball comes off the face of certain clubs that he's using, and 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 calibrates his game accordingly. You seen guys in AFL football who don't know how to when they got a set shot from thirty meters out, don't don't know what they're going to do, whether they're going to snap around the body or um, <laughs> go the drop punt. But yeah, I, I think it's a myth. I mean, it just happened to be that Hawthorne had a lot of good left footers. They are, for, for whatever reason, that, that the myth gets perpetuated by the echo chamber of the AFL. You know, he's a beautiful kick because he's a left footer. Well, you know, he's, yeah, he's just a beautiful kick, isn't he? And generational talents with Hodgie and Sam yeah. Mitchell and, I mean, in Grant Birchall, like Well, that was a thing. Well, Mitch was a right footer. That's right. Yeah, the, I've read AFL articles where no one actually knows. Like, they couldn't actually tell you, which, Def- again, is a freak. Definitely right foot and natural, but he used to just mix it up and have set shots on either. But, again, I just, like, they did that thing where they, it was all about, like, everyone, again, trends in sports. It was all about you've got to have a back flanker who's a left footer to come out and be more damaging. So, well, okay, if they're a good kick, it doesn't matter if they're left footer or right footer. Mm. It's just they're going to be better. At picking out targets. Well, I think I read that in AFL history of all goal kickers over 600 goals, I think there was 20-something. Only two were lefties. Matthew Lloyd and Buddy. That's it. What so, about Lucas? What a man. Scott Lucas. <laughs> Scotty Lucas. <laughs> Vic Boy Hall of Fame. <laughs> I think that might have been because historically... Trained to be righties. Yeah. Kids yeah. who were left-handed. 
got taught to be got taught to write right-handed at school. It was it was almost wasn't a it wasn't a blasphemous to be a left-hander or something like that. I don't know, but um, it, it was. And then previously before that, it was all about because the ink. I still there are certain pen brands and styles that I have to stay away from because I'm a lefty. I smudge everything. If you give me a birthday card and a pen that gives good ink flow, I'm cooked. I can't write on it because <laughs> I end up just smearing everything I write. I just pictured you being real diva and be like, this pen is too inky. And just like throwing it down in a fit. <laughs> amount of times people have gone, oh, what small child wrote on the card? Oh, courts, that's your hand. <laughs> I do know my uncle, I think my uncle is a left-hander, but he writes right-handed because he got taught to at school. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. I'll have to double check it, but... I'm yeah. a I'm a lefty handwriter, lefty tennis, and write basically everything else. So I can't for the life of me work out how that happened. I mean, my dad was a lefty, but yeah, right-handed bat, left-handed tennis. <laughs> yeah, I can do bits of both. Dad was dad was genuinely ambidextrous at you know tennis, footy, the whole lot. But why aren't how come how can you get to a professional? level as a footballer where kicking is your predominant skill and handballing is your second skill (laughs) how can you get to that level and do it as a job and not be able to do it fundamentally soundly off both sides of your body that's i legitimately don't understand that especially to your point where you know basketball is a great one basketball is a great sport to watch and it's just there like you know jordan ten thousand shots a day Mm. a day it's just like, you know, he's just doing his thing. I mean, he was also a freak and was able to somehow still play 18 holes golf while doing that. That's fine. But you don't... And laying $200,000 bets, smoking cigars <laughs> and drinking whiskey. But when was the last time you ever really heard of an AFL footballer ever, except for the media one that comes out at the start of the year where it's like, oh, Cordo's fixed his goal kick and he, you know, he, he did 10 extra shots after footy churn. And it's like, no one's ever like, oh, he's there all day. He's actually just there. Like, we have a ball guy that we just sent out to him. He just kicks a footy. They're not allowed to. Sports science pulls a lot of guys off. Yeah, I have this debate all the time. I mean, it's infuriating. Um, when I used to cover AFL footy full-time, I used to go to watch training of two clubs every week, week in, week out. I'd go to two sessions. And the most shots at goal any key forward would have, and this is a guy who won a couple of Coleman's, he'd have... 45 in a week in a week mm. now these guys could go to the driving range and hit 100 balls if they wanted to and then go play 18 holes of golf but yet they're not allowed to have 50 shots at goal it, it's staggering it, it blows your mind even something as simple as they do you know clubs would start with very basic line kicking like you would at any junior training right so you you just grab a partner, you've got a ball between you, you're 20 metres away from each other and just doing stationary kick to kick. And every player on the list just about, bar a handful, and you could pick out who they were, would always, in the warm-up, kick on their preferred side. They wouldn't practice on their non-preferred side. It's crazy. Now, the guys who were the best kicks in the team, and I can think of one, Michael Walters at Fremantle, legitimately would go one-to-one left to right, in yeah. these practice drills. But he was about the only one at that club who deliberately did that. Dave Mundy's probably the other. Yeah. Outside of that, they're just using the same leg for a warm-up. It's crazy. But anyway. Is this the modern-day obsession with drafting athletes coming into it, do you think? 
No, they get told. Yeah, you'd have to go. This is a deep dive. It's probably too earnest for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, a lot no, of people going. I yeah, came here for entertainment, yeah, not yeah. a's. No, they do, they get told. They they get told to use their preferred side because to to maneuver themselves to find a way to to buy space because they they would rather a mistake on the side that they can trust as opposed to going on to their non-preferred. But my argument would be, well, why wouldn't you just work on the non-preferred so it becomes as skilled as the preferred? And that just makes you deadly. Then the then time. you become Jason Akamanis who can kick 60-metre goals on the run off both feet. Like, And you, you know, uh, anyway. Yeah, no, no one's sitting there going, oh, man, Akka being so good at both sides is really not good for the sports scientists in <laughs> yeah. the Brisbane Lions. I'm pretty confident Lee Matthews would have been gone. You can shut the hell up now. Yeah. Well, I'm sure when Russ Lyons sat in all those press conferences and said, we're going to work on our skills, I'm sure he didn't go to Dave Mundy and Michael Walters and say, you two are definitely the worst kicks here. So if you could just stop <laughs> using your opposite foot, that would be great. No, they don't work on it. Yeah. It's amazing. If you think about what you guys do on a daily basis with your jobs and some of the repetition of things that you do, they don't do it. Mm. I can't believe that. I feel like I did, I did more back when I was just rubbish footballer. <laughs> oh, I, like I watch it now, you know, like Ed Langdon at Melbourne. I watch him running into a goal and he'll be 30 metres out and he should just slot it from his left in front and he does a banana on the run. Shock and horror that it misses. Or banana passes to teammates. That blows my mind. When you've got guys running in play who will kick a banana pass to your teammate on that side because you don't want to kick on the opposite side of your body. That's outstanding. And astounding, I should say. All right, just quickly, we'll touch on footy one more time. Alex, finals prediction. Uh, It's Richmond's. Richmond's the team to beat, aren't they? Hmm? All, uh, what is it? Um, you got to go through Chicago. Is that the, the last dance <laughs> reference? Yeah, uh, yeah you got to beat Richmond. You got to beat Richmond. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to a couple of people the other day. It just seems like they're the team to beat. It's interesting, though, how it's sort of shaken out the top five sides. So Geelong, best home and away side of the last couple of years. And then Richmond, two-time premiers in the last three in West Coast. But then the top two teams are the two teams that have spent the most time at home in their own beds. Yeah. Shock. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not convinced Brisbane's going to stack up. Port, maybe. Port's got some flash and dare about them. But yeah, I can see both of them, say hypothetically, they meet Geelong and Richmond in prelims. I can see them both getting just smoked. My tin hat theory is that the AFL won't let Brisbane win. Why? Because they won't want to play up the fact that the home ground for a grand final is so much of an advantage for Melbourne teams. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so like if Brisbane wins because the games are all in the Gabba, yeah. that, that would show that that's why teams like Richmond are advantaged always having games in Melbourne. That would be a great tin hat theory to come true actually yeah well <laughs> when when suddenly you get some text message later and it's just like ap didn't make it home last night you'll know why <laughs> he's last been seen now nannying up in queensland in a resort <laughs> looking after afl executives children and giving uh swimming lessons so the poet in me wants gaz to win one last flag oh, wrong. yeah 
I've been pushing this. I don't even really like Geelong. I just think Gaz is unbelievable. And much like the dogs in 2016, I'd love to see, to cap off a pretty shitty underwhelming year, something pretty cool like that would do me just fine. No. <laughs> not, not a bad G-Town. Okay. So we were going to talk about, uh, we talked to you in the past, Alex, about the whole sports comedy movie things. Um, I think you made a comment you were astounded at some of the bizarre nonsense that Aaron and I recall about sports movies and managed to just keep stashed away in our heads. That's what happens when you don't apply yourselves to more valuable parts of life. <laughs> but... <laughs> I've done that with sport itself, so don't worry about it. <laughs> like my mother used to say all the time, you know, I, I just don't understand how you remember all these movie quotes. And all the time I go, thanks, mom, and in my head. If only I could remember, you know, economics, uh, finance, <laughs> investments, I'd be fine. Um, but we wanted to ask you, from the lens of someone that's watched a lot of sport, what you think would is your a sort of your favorite sports movie of all time in a dramatic sense, not a comedy, but maybe a movie that you remember watching, thinking they actually nailed the sports component of this. So it's actually the realism factor. Yeah, I, I had real trouble with this. Uh, I had real trouble just remembering genuine sports movies. Like I, I can think of for the love of the game, the one with Kevin yeah. Costner. Yeah. And as a baseball fan, not a fanatic, but someone who followed it, they seem to do that reasonably well. They use the Detroit Tigers. They obviously use the official logos against the Yankees. They had him pitching properly. They got him a pitching coach. Uh, that's one that springs to mind. I can't think of any others uh, off the top of my head. You guys would probably have a better But you had a story about catalog. Yeah, well, sport. I do have a story about this because I've got a couple of mates actually who were in a sports movie but it wasn't a Hollywood movie. It was a Bollywood movie. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. So this movie was called Patiala House. Um, so my mates, yeah, I played a lot of cricket and, and uh, one of the rites of passage of, of grade cricketers and even um, professional cricketers here in Australia is to spend a winter in England playing as a, an overseas pro. The clubs all um, bring Australians over on, on visas to play as the "Quote unquote professional at the at the club, and uh, they pay them. They get them jobs on working behind the bar or on the grounds, and it's uh, it's a pretty good experience for for a young, you know, anywhere between eighteen and twenty three, or even older. Guys have been doing it for years, for decades, uh, even. So, I had a group of mates who went over. I did it myself, but I wasn't there this particular year, and uh, somehow through some connection at the club that one of the guys was playing at in London." Uh, they had a connection to somebody who was on the crew for this movie called Patiala House in 2011. It's an Indian Hindi sports drama. <laughs> and it followed the story of uh, this Indian immigrant family that had set up shop in Southall in England. And the son was not allowed to play cricket, but he was an incredibly talented cricketer. But his father had, you know, very stereotypical here. His father had refused to let him play cricket. But all he wanted to do was play cricket for England. And so the story is this sort of grappling. It's kind of, kind of like the Bend of Life, Beckham yeah, type setup. Say, it's, exactly, yeah. it's, it's exactly the same, the same premise. But my mates played the extras as England played Australia at Trent Bridge or one of the grounds. And there were a couple of Australian players involved. Sean Tate and Andrew Simons were actually stars in the movie, as was Nasser Hussain, who was an England selector. 
that my mate's got to play in this game. So they, they had him decked out. But the, I, I talked a moment ago about um, the, the the fine touches on For the Love of the Game where they had the actual logos, a bit like uh, Rookie of the Year where they wore the Cubs uniform. These guys got to wear cheap knockoffs of the Australian <laughs> one-day kit. <laughs> like, it had... It had Australia, but it didn't have Australia spelt correctly. But obviously, from the lens, <laughs> it looked like it was spelt correctly. And all the logos were fake ones. But if you were far enough away, it looked real. Um, yeah, they said it was an absolute riot. And and they, uh, I never saw it, but they went to see it. They were so excited to go and see it. And they just said it was one of the worst movies they've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that was my story. But I, I, can't, I don't know. I can't think of too many. You guys probably have some better ones than I would. Look, I feel like there's a couple, but I feel like they're kind of very... I feel like they're cheating. So I would say Moneyball. But Moneyball is a very... Again, there's sort of like a weird bit too where baseball actually transitions very well to a movie because you can kind of cut in and cut out. Um, mm. You just need someone to be able to pitch, someone to be able to hit. That's kind of it. You can kind of yeah. overlap a few things. But Moneyball is great. But again, the story of Moneyball is not really about the baseball it's about the back end yeah um so that's kind of a cheaty one yeah but i'm gonna use it yeah that's fair enough and it's based on a true story also i think you'll find with baseball movies because americans love baseball it's their pastime they the way that they produce baseball movies has that very hollywood cinematic like polish to it yeah baseball gets that love baseball gets the clean eastwoods the brad pitts even you know what, I mean? what the rookie which is Dennis Quaid coming back as a what <laughs> early, late late thirties early forties pitcher who can still throw heat, and they still do it in a good enough way that you can be like I can, all right I can see what's going on here, but yeah. you know it's it, the production you're right the production values the awesome slow mo like it's all yeah. it's all very well done. Baseball is a friendly you're right baseball is a friendly sport where the camera angle can hide the stand in real pitcher. And can equally hide the stand-in real batsman by putting the camera behind the old club face, swing the bat swinging on the ball, like yeah, yeah. Whereas, for example, remember the Titans, which is a great movie. When you actually go back and dissect the plays, they run three different plays every game, which is like a halfback draw, and I think it's like a slant pass, and that's it. That's all they run, <laughs> yeah. and then it's just Ryan Gosling getting torched at cornerback. That's that's the plays. I forgot he was in that movie. I actually, the one that I think of is Rush. Have you seen Rush? Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl. The story of James Hunt and Nicky Lauder's 1976 Formula One sort of face-off where they went toe-to-toe all season. Um, Hunt ended up winning the championship by one point. But famously, Nicky Lauder had a crash in Germany um, and burnt off basically half of his whole face. And he ended up racing six weeks later against doctor's advice. He's in the car. His skin was still like almost that warm. Like, yeah, it's quite graphic. Like he, he was sort of scarred for the rest of his life. Um, but they captured that intensity of his just need to compete. James Hunt was the kind of like playboy English, like very much Chris Hemsworth looks a lot like him. James Hunt had the flowing blonde locks. He married models. He was gassed all the time. Like, um, but they nailed the realism of the cars and the feel of Formula One, the technical side that goes into it. So that stood out to me. And that whole movie just, I've, people have watched that that don't like motor racing and they're just gripped. So like a, it's a bit more realistic than 
Fast and the Furious 7. Yes. <laughs> and the lesser known Driven with Sylvester Stallone, if anybody remembers that, <laughs> where he plays a, an IndyCart mentor. <laughs> well, I can think of some bad ones. Yeah. Wimbledon is one. Oh. Yeah. It just... Some of the worst tennis you would see better tennis down down at the local park than than what's delivered on centre court in that so called final. Oh, that's cringe. It's filth. <laughs> the other one is uh, the other one's Invictus, which oh, follows yeah. the story of the nineteen ninety five Springboks at the World Cup. Uh, it's a beautifully told story, but the rugby sequences are genuinely awful. Oh, Matt Damon playing a... Francois Pinot, yeah. Yeah, as a number nine or yeah. scrum half, fly half, whatever it yeah. is. But uh, yeah, and, and, and the problem with that final is there's no try scored. Yeah. So it's penalties and drop goals. And trying to tell that story to an audience, <laughs> particularly a, a group of Americans, basically, who you're pitching it at, it would have made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Was that Morgan Freeman? Is Nelson yeah, Morgan Freeman, yeah. 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 It was Clint Eastwood who directed it. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, the player of the final was Joel Stransky, who was a hero of mine. But yeah, it, how you could... Yeah, just watching that and thinking, gee whiz, I, they might have missed this. Yeah, and it, you go. I was going to say, and weirdly, the, the story that's lived from that World Cup was a young John Alomu flattening everybody yeah. all the way up until the semifinals. That was a World Cup tournament. I think he was like 18 or 19 bulldozing people yeah i guess the the truly iconic ones that are done well ultimately can end up being just a little bit boring so they have to get sort of wrapped up in more excitement mm. i mean there's not many there's there's very minimal golf movies out there yeah well and it's like the rocky movies like the boxing ones i laugh at those because they land like 400 uppercuts in those <laughs> movies and everyone stays standing i, I rewatched <laughs> rocky not too long ago and Rocky spent, you know, he's had his montage, he's punching dead cows, he's doing everything, <laughs> literally gets into the first 15 seconds against Apollo. He's been punched 42 times in the face. He hasn't put his gloves anywhere near up his face. He literally just walks out, he's like, let's get out there, just straight away, gloves down, chest high, and it's just, pat, pat, pat. and he's yeah. like, can you just put your gloves up? Just put them up. <laughs> like, just one time, just do it. No, nah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wear him out by like bludgeoning him my chin on his gloves yeah. for the next six rounds. Like Homer against Dredrick Tatum. <laughs> <in the Simpsons. laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. He's gonna die on his feet. <laughs> oh, Dredrick Tatum, the greatest parody sports <laughs> character of all time. Like, and the amount of people that don't realize everything his character says, Mike Tyson basically said in a different format. I'm like, going to make orphans of his children. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. and, and uh, he's got a wife. Uh, she'll die from grief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'll die from grief. So good. Watch the Mike Tyson clip when he won a fight against, I can't remember who it was, it was before he fought Lennox Lewis. And he's like, he does that whole, I'm the most ferocious, most vicious champ of all time. He's like, I'm going to eat his heart. I'm going to kill his family. I'm going to eat his children. And it's like, and you watch all of the reporters there with the microphone just start to like ease back a little bit. Like, and then his trainer's behind. So when he's like, I'm the most ferocious champ ever. And his trainer's like, yeah, yeah. And then as he gets darker and darker, he's like, yeah. <laughs> you see in his eyes go wide open with discomfort, like. Okay, Mike, just settle down. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, um, now, Alex, some of these might be relevant to you, but uh, we'll ask you to indulge us quickly as we work through them. We've got a few listener questions. We've put it out to the universe. Uh, we had some uh, a few trolls. Those of you out there, you know who you are. Certain uh, derogatory comments about uh, male appendages <laughs> being sent to our direct messages <laughs> and wanting questions answered about those. Thank you. But some of the ones that came up, we had a question. I'll read these out. I know who most of these people are, so I'll tolerate it and we'll indulge it. Jeff B wrote in as, sorry, AP. He's asked, are the VB Warriors the most powerful sporting organization in Australia? Now, for you two, you don't know who the VB Warriors are, but I'll explain it. What if I tell you there was an amateur sporting team out there that has an 83% win ratio throughout its journey? Pretty high. Four premierships. Not bad. Only four. (laughs) Seems like unders. (laughs) So uh, Jeff actually runs a a touch rugby team called the VB Warriors. The New Zealand Warriors are his favourite team in the world in the rugby league. So they are a parody of that. But they've played 170 games in touch rugby in Melbourne. They have an 83% win rate and they've won four premierships. How long have they been going for? Six or seven years. So they haven't won all every flag? No, they haven't won every flag. There's been a few blips, as Jeff would call it. Um, But I've seen Jeff actually wrote uh, like a charter, like a player's charter. That's how seriously he takes it. And in it, he had a section that specifically addressed peptides and performance enhancing drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So he's pushing this, but he would genuine, genuinely get offended if I slagged it off. But they are one of the great, uh, you know, small non-budget sporting uh, organizations in Melbourne. I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, he actually had a, a section where he basically said performance enhancing drugs were okay. <laughs> His main issue was getting to training on time and making sure you gave your your fees at the start of the season so the uniforms could be ordered. <laughs> Is that the biggest Priorities. blight of any amateur sport? Getting fees on time to pay any of the submissions? I reckon the only thing harder is getting cash after going to see a movie with a group of friends when you were the guy that ordered the tickets. <laughs> like you got eight tickets to see a movie. Getting the cash after that, I reckon, is the only thing just as hard as getting fees on time for a sporting club. Yeah, it's never happening. Uh, we had a question from Steve R who said, when is Jeff making an appearance? Well, <laughs> we'll get the man on to talk about the VB Warriors. He's doing a marathon on Sunday, so shout out to him. Uh, I don't even know if it's happening officially. I think he's just he was training for it and it got cancelled because of COVID. So he's just pushing ahead and doing a marathon anyway. So Steve Jeff's alias? Well, <laughs> no, I know who Steve is too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, the next question came from Renee T. I know who Renee is. Uh, she wanted to know, AP, when uh, we're going to see our real faces on social media instead of, and I quote, these caricatures. What's wrong with those? Well, I, I look at that and I go, when you're a six, <laughs> you find ways to reach being an eight. Do you know what I mean? So doing a, an animated cartoon version of ourselves can polish out a lot of the blemishes. No, you're selling yourself short, boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, Renee's right. But she gets to see your face regularly, so I don't know what she's arguing about. 
The irony is, if my face was worthy of not being a caricature, I wouldn't be doing something that is purely an audio format. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. Uh, This comes from Jason B. Who wins an F1 2020 race out of AP and Cordo? Alex, we can add you into this, but I'm not sure you might have played. No, I'll finish third and by a long way. (laughs) For us, it depends on the track. It's very track-driven, and Courtney puts way more effort into car setups. <laughs> so he's just like, oh, and he also does that thing where for anybody who's had a career of playing PlayStation against mates, and this is like, you know, any of the fighting ones where like you do the moves and you kind of like hide the controller. So, you know, you're playing Madden and it's just like, oh, what plays are you using? And it's like, oh, look away before I push square and do a, a you know, a four run anyway. He's just like, look away, I'm just changing a few settings. And then suddenly he's got this car that's eight seconds quicker than me off the, off the turn anyway. Yep, I'd win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Who'd win Nigel Mansell's Formula One? Oh, from Grand back Prix. in the day. I'm super Ness, because I did used to play that. Oh, I played that a lot. Yeah, okay, you yeah. got me. But yeah. I did play it. I was a hungry motorsport child. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think I'm getting thumped in that one. Yep. I had no, no chance. No, rep, for, no reps. Need for speed. Colin McRae rally. I did it all. Right. I'm a chance of Tony Hawk now. That's about it. <laughs> the next one came from uh, Josh C, who is, uh, again, your brother-in-law. He's making another appearance in this episode. He's a great man. He, uh, he's asked, any top movie quotes that you use in your everyday life? To be honest, and we've talked about it before, it's a lot of Happy Gilmore. It, really? comes, up, it comes up a lot. Uh, I mean, when you play golf in a normal circumstance once a week, I legitimately would quote happy once a week anyway. But the I ate pieces of shit for breakfast is never not funny whenever you bring that up. <laughs> Doesn't matter the situation. Yeah, that is always funny. The amount of times I've bumped into somebody in a bar and gone, you shouldn't have been standing there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a lot. My mates roll out wedding crashes stuff all the time. So <laughs> the Sack sandwich? No, well, yeah. John, I was all steep. I can make it rain out here. <laughs> oh, yeah, make it rain. Like. Um, no, no, uh, our favourite is uh, Senator Cleary. Senator Cleary. A sailor. Good man, take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Love that stuff. And uh, old school's the other one. We'll all roll out old school all the time. Yeah. Anything, anything to do with old school. Yeah. Oh, I rewatched that the other day. What an all-time. We're going to have to find an excuse to just put that into one of it's our podcasts you know when he gives a bread maker like he keeps giving it and he's like a bread maker and he goes but it's got three speeds three speeds the amount, the amount of times i've used that reference to stuff like oh i got a new racket that's all right it, it's got three speeds like yeah the one we that. use is uh keep it on the download it's not exactly street legal <laughs> hey mike <laughs> saying hey to the fictitious mike uh, i also love in old school the um Towards the back end when they're showing their worth to the community and they're doing the test and they're reading off what the test is. And Vince Vaughn, you know, they go, oh, you know, it's uh, the angle of the triangle and they go, oh, it's B. They'll write it in and he looks at uh, Ari, I can't, you know, the Dean. Jeremy Piven. And yeah. he just goes, oh, great test. Great test. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, they're cheating. Well, they got the guys <laughs> in the van. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Vince Vaughn, he, he makes both of those moves. That and Simpsons and Family Guy. I reckon I use quotes out of Simpsons and Family Guy. They're not movies, but I use quotes and lines out of that show. Yeah, Simpsons all the time. Seinfeld gets rolled out a lot. Yeah. Tell you one of the best things, which, again, related enough to this to use, is that 
when gifts became a thing for phones, my life was complete. <laughs> Being able to reuse funny bits in other stuff regularly, that's it. Comedy gold. And to be fair, it's all Simpsons family guys. I'd belt stuff anyway. But it's just gold. Yeah, because you, you're able to now, like you don't have to focus as much on selling the quote. You know, because if the person doesn't really know what you're talking about, you just become that guy that's pushing a quote. Whereas the GIF allows you the visual representation, often with the actual line written on the bottom. So it helps. It helps sell it. I'm probably going to send you a GIF now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this one comes from Jonah, a good friend of AP's, friend of mine. Uh, It comes all the way from Germany, this question. Um, If New Zealand is Australia's Canada... Who is New Zealand's Canada? Now, I had to reach out to some of my Kiwi friends to get some intel on this because I didn't feel comfortable making that kind of call. I got back Cook Islands, uh, which is a smaller island near NZ, but then I got Tasmania thrown back from the Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good. I feel like that's a culturally loaded question. but then Yes, I, it is. But I equally thought, I would have thought most New Zealanders look down on Australia. So maybe we're there, like maybe we are there, America. Like more crime, dodgier, more yeah, bloated, fair. less peaceful, a lot more flogs. More COVID. Definitely more COVID. <laughs> Questionable leadership in both state, federal sense, on and off. There'd be a lot more of them here than New Zealanders, that is, than Canadians in America, would I be right in saying that? Well, I don't know. Maybe the percentage. Percentage, yeah. I know like Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne have over like 100-odd thousand Kiwis in them. Yeah, sorry, I meant per capita, yeah. Which would put them in like the top 10 in New Zealand for New Zealand city populations. Yeah, Perth's a big hub for them too. There's a lot of Kiwis everywhere, but we love the Kiwis. We love the Kiwis. always... Like when you're growing up, there's always that funny Aussie Kiwi rivalry. But I'm like, no, no, no. We just all get together and hate on South Africans. That's kind of. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I'd move there in a heartbeat at the moment. <laughs> so would I. Yes, some good things going on over there. And then our last question comes from Dane S. Dane uh, wanted to ask us if you could host a reality show or a game show, what would it be? Oh, this is a great question. I don't really have the answer yet. Game show for me. Yeah. Any, anyone particularly come to mind? Uh, Burjo's catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I'm surprised they haven't redone that. They've redone everything else. Yeah. That is like a genuinely good show. <laughs> <laughs> Burjo's catchphrase. Love it. What about you, AP? Look, I couldn't do a reality show, but... I think I'd probably try to do one of those, the reality game shows, which would be like... Oh, Survivor or something like that. Love Survivor. Because like, you can't take the mantle from any of the guys doing it. And JPP, I don't think I can do enough bicep curls to take over the mantle of the Australian host because he's doing some genuine curls. Is that like Anthony LaPaglia's weird younger brother? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, phenomenal pipes. <laughs> he loves it too. Yeah. Just preacher cool every morning. Must be. Like, and he's on an island. Like They've clearly yeah. bought out some weights just for him to, you know. Yeah. He's got the veins going on pre-tribal. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like, it'd be a fun one to do, Survivor. Yeah, he must be working all elements of the bicep too. Because they're just, 
You know how you've got you, you can do full extension ones and like he's got right down to the elbow biceps. Yeah, that that's a pr- that is a proper proper set of biceps. I do just love Survivor, the, the especially the tribal councils. Sorry, we're digressing because I just love talking about Survivor. Yeah, but I love it when they've they've packaged it all up. And prior to it, you know, to be like, Cordo's screwed. Cordo's getting voted out and they've just cut from Cordo going, well, I've got no hope. I've just, you know, I'm hoping, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a tense week. I screwed up the challenge. Like I dropped the ball. You know, I can't do anything. And then it goes in there. First question from the host. So Cordo, bit of tension, pretty big week. <laughs> <laughs> just, just straight to it. And then Cordo's like, oh, you know, like it's one of those weeks where you just got to, you know, play your game and just hope that everyone thinks about all the good stuff you can do. And it's just like, but Alex, do you really think you're buying that? Meanwhile, everyone's just seen just before that previous click, Alex is like, I'm getting him. He's out. And you're like, look, I really like Cordo, but no, look, we'll just see what happens. It's just, (laughs) it's peak reality show and I love it. Yeah, you just don't see the 10 script writers off to the side of the camera that have all the lines written down on paper. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, what a job. You roll up. He works for like 11 minutes a day. How hard is it to go? Here's the challenge. Good luck. You're voted out. Good night. Like, that's essentially all he does. I'd like to be on the ultimate fighter. Dana White does that, the guy that owns the UFC. So that's like the UFC sort of knockout one where they split them off into two teams. They all live in the house together. Okay. And then they effectively just each week, two guys fight. And if you lose, you're out. And then it gets to the final two. And then they both tend to get a contract into the UFC. Okay. Um, but that's awesome because it ends up being like The Bachelor where you've got the guys that, <laughs> the guys that lose. It follows the same like cliche path. The guys that lose then end up getting on the gas in the house. So then the conflict always erupts because there's like three dudes in the spa drinking booze at three in the morning while other guys are trying to sleep because they got to fight the next day. Oh, so you, you lose, but you stay. You don't get kicked out. Yeah. It's, wow. it's weird. Like Now that is an element that should be added to The Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get a rose, but you get to stay and, and drink at those functions where they all get gassed anyway. Just train just, wreck them. Yeah, yeah, create havoc. I'd be in for that. Yeah. Like some of the, I think some leave eventually at the end of the week, but yeah, you often have like some of the best moments in the show. It's always been because a fight's erupted between some people that are partying and other people that are trying to sleep. Yeah, and to be fair, not really a group of individuals who you enjoy seeing fight. I mean, you would enjoy seeing fight up, but it's different to me being fired up and going, and that's about it. Well, imagine <laughs> being the cameraman in those shows when you've got like trained warriors that are just squaring off against each other and you're hoping that it, it gets broken up enough so that it doesn't spill into like <laughs> your face as you're there with a the camera lens like trying to shove it right up in their grill. Anyway. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it all up for us on our end. Alex, thank you very much for joining us, mate. My pleasure. Great to be back with you guys. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. Been good. Okay, folks, thanks very much for listening in. As always, you can find us on our website, sidelines.com.au or at the Sidelines Podcast 1. I changed the Instagram username. Some people were like, oh, I can't find you guys when it's Sidelines Media. So I changed it to at the Sidelines Podcast to make it simple. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening in. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, we'll look out for the voting on the next sports movie breakdown, which is Semi Pro, the seminal Will Ferrell cult basketball classic, versus, versus Dodgeball, the iconic Ben Stiller comedy dodgeball vehicle. You're excited, aren't you? Yeah, I'm always excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is going to be another one where I hope Semi Pro gets up. You're, we've talked. I about know, this. but even though I picked dodgeball, I know, I know. But the heart wants what the heart wants. All right. Thanks, Gordo. Thanks very much, everybody. 